Many of you have heard of utopia. I may know we're not living there yet. The term utopia refers to an imaginary island described in a book of the same name written by a gentleman by the name of Sir Thomas More way back in 1516 as having a perfect political and social system. The term has come to refer to any idealized place, state, or situation of perfection. And men have been dreaming of and trying to create utopia on earth now for thousands of years. James Hilton wrote of Shangri-La as such an ideal place in his novel, Lost Horizon. Uh, the communists have ruined many a country by trying to make them into a worker's paradise, highly unsuccessfully. Because of sin and the curse, men have failed miserably in all their efforts to establish a perfect society and restore the perfect conditions of the Garden of Eden on this planet. God has promised Israel that when Jesus the Messiah returns to the earth, he will establish a glorious 1,000-year kingdom in which social, governmental, and even environmental conditions will be characterized by perfection and by peace. At this time, all the promises that God's given to Abraham, to David, and the prophets will have their ultimate fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ as he sets up his kingdom. This is the eighth future certainty that God has in store for Israel as promised in the word of God. We've already looked at seven of them in previous weeks. We see that in the last days, Israel is going to be in the land. Uh, they're going to receive a promise of peace from the Antichrist that lets them uh, reestablish their worship at the temple and so forth. Uh, there's going to be a great invasion of Israel towards the midpoint of the tribulation period uh, from Russia from the north and uh, a confederacy of the Islamic nations around them as well. God will preserve them supernaturally. The Antichrist, who has uh, made them the promise of peace and helped them to reestablish their, their worship at the temple, will betray them and actually demand worship for himself. He'll profane the temple by setting himself up as God there and also setting up his own image to be worshipped there. Uh, Israel, because they will not worship him, will be persecuted terribly during that time, to the point where two-thirds of the people in Israel, two-thirds of the Jews, will lose their lives during the tribulation period. But good news is, in all that, Israel will come to recognize Jesus Christ as their true Messiah. Uh, we find that we get to the end of the tribulation period, all the nations of the world, not just a northern and an Islamic confederacy, but all the nations of the world will gather against Israel at Armageddon and attempt to wipe out Israel once and for all. But good news once again, Jesus Christ is going to descend from heaven and he will protect Israel at that time. Uh, when he comes back to protect them, we find the description in, in Revelation 19 and Zechariah chapter 14. He descends from heaven and comes to the earth, not just to the clouds, 
as he will at the rapture, uh, when he comes for us, so he'll come to the earth, actually set foot on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives will split in half. There'll be a valley created there through which Jews will be able to escape from the people bent on destroying them at Armageddon. And uh, we find that when, when Christ comes back, the armies gathered against Israel will try to prevent him from establishing his kingdom here, and he will destroy them utterly, uh, even by speaking the word, and they'll be taken care of. The beast and the false prophet will be captured. They will be cast alive into the lake of fire where they will live forever and ever and ever out of the judgment of Almighty God. And we find also that time Satan will be bound and thrown into a bottomless pit for a thousand-year period. Uh, the Lord will judge Israel, and believing Israelites will come into the kingdom. Uh, any unbelieving Israelites will not. They'll be condemned. Uh, he'll judge the Gentile nations, the sheep and the goat nations. Those who are, are believers will come into the kingdom in their natural bodies having endured the, the horrors of the tribulation period. Uh, those that uh, have rebelled, those who do not know the Lord Jesus, who rejected him, will be cast into the lake of fire that the Lord has prepared for the devil and his, his angels. So that, that, that will take place. And we find that when Christ comes back, Israel's hope will be vindicated and uh, through the Lord's return and all the events that come take place in connection with that. The last future certainty concerning Israel that we'll be looking at at this time is the matter of the kingdom that the Lord Jesus Christ will set up here on this planet. It's uh, described in Scripture as a thousand-year kingdom. And this kingdom theme is something that, that's repeated over and over again in, in the Scriptures. Uh, we find that's the, a very frequent biblical theme in the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets talk about this coming kingdom. Uh, by the way, if you have more interest in this, probably the best book ever written on this subject was written by Alva McLean, the founder of Grace Theolo one of the founders of Grace Theological Seminary. It's uh, the greatness of the kingdom, and he shows this kingdom theme all through Scripture and presents the fact that it's going to be a, a physical kingdom that's going to be set up on this planet one of these days. And uh, it's put out by Moody Publishing. I've got a copy of it. If you'd like to come to my office and read it, you can read it there. I won't let you take it home. But that's one of the books I won't let go out. But you can come and read it in my office or in the conference room if you like. But I, it may be out of print, but you might be able to get an older copy of it. Uh, we find that John the Baptist, when he was on the earth, what was his message? His message was, repent. Why? Because the kingdom is at hand. That's what he's talking about. Uh, we find in, the, in the, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his preaching, what's he tell Nicodemus? If, if, you don't, if you're not born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. Uh, Christ had a lot to say about the kingdom. He gave previews of the kingdom. When he healed people, it gave a preview of the uh, good health that's going to exist during the kingdom age. Uh, many of his miracles gave a preview of what it's going to be like when his kingdom is set up on this planet. And in fact, he, he told the, the Pharisees, he said, the kingdom of God is right here in the midst of you. Now, some people think he was saying they had the kingdom in them. That's not what he was saying. He's saying, I'm the king, and I'm right here in the midst of you, and a kingdom is dependent upon what? It's, it's dependent upon the king. And King Jesus was there. 
and he was offering to Israel to set up the kingdom. And they liked the idea of a kingdom being set up, but he also preached to them they needed to be prepared to enter the kingdom. They needed to repent. They needed deliverance from their sin. They needed to cast themselves upon, upon God's mercy, and they didn't like hearing that. And so they rejected him, rejected his message, nailed him to a cross, and the kingdom was not set up. Now, you and I, today, we can be kingdom people if we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our Lord, and he's our king. But the kingdom's not set up on this planet yet. But one of these days, it will be. He gave the offer of the kingdom. The kingdom was rejected. His atonement, and in some ways, it's a good thing Israel rejected him because it's, it's really the atonement of Jesus on the cross of Calvary that makes it possible for us to enter the kingdom. You know, we, we can't do it in our, our sinful condition. We need to be redeemed. We need our sins to be paid for. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. And when he returns at the end of the tribulation period, not at the rapture, but seven years later, at the end of the tribulation period, he'll come to this planet, he'll stay on this planet, and he will set up his physical kingdom on this earth. And this kingdom will be every bit as real as the United States of America. This kingdom will be every bit as real, every bit as physical as the Roman Empire. As any nation that you look at on the earth today, that, that's how real this kingdom is going to be. And Jesus is going to rule over it. And there are a number of things that are going to take place in this kingdom age. And that's what we want to look at this morning. That's what we want to focus our attention on. And one of the first things we find is that the, the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints will be raised to glorified bodies to participate in the kingdom. Christians are raised at the rapture. Uh, if we're alive, we'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. If we, if we die, then, then we're still not going to miss out on the rapture. We'll be, we'll be resurrected. In fact, the dead in Christ will rise first, we're told in 1 Thessalonians 4. But the Old Testament saints, they won't be raised at that time. It's going to be seven years later. Daniel chapter 12 uh, talks about the fact that in verse 1 and 2, it says, At that time Michael shall stand up, that, that the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who's found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting contempt. And we also find Revelation 20 uh, talks about this, this first resurrection as well. There are several aspects, two aspects to the first resurrection. Part of it's the, the resurrection takes place at the rapture. Second part of it takes place in connection with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation period. And we read about also in Revelation chapter 20. It says, starting in verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived, they're raised again, they lived and reigned with Jesus for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. 
uh, that's those who are unbelievers, will not be raised again till the end of the tribulation period. And it says that this is the first resurrection, the resurrection to life, the resurrection of believers. And he says in verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him, how long? thousand years. By the way, a thousand years is a millennium. There are some the genuine believers that say there's not going to be a millennium. They would call themselves millennial, no millennium. Uh, we find it over and over again in, in Revelation chapter 20 here. It says repeatedly, how long are these things going to last? How long will the death be bound? thousand years. How long is this period of time going to last? thousand years. Uh, so there's something special about this thousand-year period. And we find that the first thing is the Old Testament tribulation saints will be resurrected just like we will be at the rapture. They'll be resurrected to, to go into the kingdom. Israel will have all the land that was promised to Abraham way back in Genesis 15. After God gave Abraham the promise of land, seed, and blessing, he got real specific about the amount of land, and he says, you're going to have all the land that goes from the river of Egypt to the river Euphrates. That's the Nile River to the river Euphrates. Israel has never possessed that much land to this day. But one of these days they will, and that will just be the start of their kingdom. Actually, Christ's kingdom is going to be all over the entire earth, but the Israel part of it is going to be from the Nile River to the river Euphrates. We find that Jesus will establish the universal rule that was promised through David. Uh, let's think ahead to Christmas time right now. And uh, some of your Christmas cards, you'll get uh, uh, a reference to Isaiah chapter 9 and verses 6 and 7, or at least verse 6. Remember what it says there? Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And it tells us that he, he's going to sit on the throne of David and that uh, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Lasting Father, Prince of Peace. And it says, of the increase of his government and peace, there's going to be real peace on the earth. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with the judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, usually in the Christmas cards, they just give reference to verse 6. A uh, child is born, a son is given. And uh, the other part about him being ruling over the kingdom, that didn't happen the first time Jesus came, did it? In fact, he, he got crucified. He didn't set up his kingdom. And he rose again. And then he ascended back to the Father. He did not set up an earthly kingdom, but that doesn't mean he's not ever going to do it. The, the, the church isn't the kingdom in spiritual form. There's going to be a real physical kingdom. In fact, God promised David. He said, one of your descendants is going to rule over Israel forever. Guess who that descendant is? King Jesus. If you go back and read the genealogies in Matthew and in Luke of Jesus, you'll find out that that they all go back to David. They both go back to David. Through Mary, Jesus gets the biological right to sit on the throne of David. Through Joseph, who was not Jesus' biological father, 
But as legal one, he gets the legal right to sit on the throne and, and avoids a curse that have been pronounced upon uh, King Jeconiah that we don't have time to go into right now. But a marvelous Christ had all the authority to sit on the throne of, of David, rule over Israel, rule over the earth, and he will. He will. And when he reigns, when he rules, there will be peace. That's what we read here in Isaiah 9. Of the increase of his government and of what? Of peace. What do people want in the world today? They want peace. Well, why do we have the United Nations? So that they can bring in about peace. But what happens? Instead of getting peace, we get more and more war. Well, there will not be there will not be peace until the Prince of Peace rules and reigns over everything on this planet. But, but good news of the fact that, that Christ is coming, is going to set up his kingdom on this planet, and it will be a kingdom of peace. We see some other passages that, that speak about that peace. Uh, let's go to a couple of those back in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 2 and, and verse 4. Need to see that this is what the Bible teaches, not what I teach. It's what the Bible teaches. Isaiah 2. Verse 4. Talking about Jesus coming, the Messiah coming. It says, He shall, in verse 4, He shall judge between the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, and nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. I understand they've got that Bible verse someplace on the United Nations building. They, they like the idea of beating swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, but they won't allow any reference to Jesus in the United Nations. Guess what? Without Jesus, they'll never be beating swords into to plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, there, there will never be the peace that only he can establish. Go to chapter 11 in Isaiah. And read the prophecy there. Isaiah 11, starting at verse 6. There's not, not only going to be peace among men, there's going to be peace even in the animal kingdom. It says the, uh, the wolf also will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. A little child will be leading lions and, and leopards and that kind of stuff. And it says, the cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Now today, it would say the lion will eat the ox. But when Christ sets up his kingdom, the lion leads straw with the ox. Get verse 8. Anybody got any little babies? It says, The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and a weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. Everybody will know God. God will rule over everything. Christ will be in charge of everything. And there will be, there will be peace. Isaiah 65, 20 tells us that a, somebody, if they die at 100 years old, they'll be thought of as being a child. 
and it will probably be sinful rebellion that brings about their death at 100 years old. People will be living like they did in the days of Methuselah and Adam. They'll be capable of living throughout the entire thousand-year kingdom without their bodies falling apart and disintegrating on them. There'll be universal knowledge and worship of the Lord. We read that in, in, in Isaiah 11 there. The, the, the Lord will be known all over the place. And there'll be people will recognize these. And, and people will worship Him. They'll come up to Jerusalem and, and worship the Lord. Now, some may not worship Him in their heart, but outwardly God will be worshipped. King Jesus will be bowed to. It will be like it tells us in Philippians that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, on top of that, there's going to be perfect environmental, economic, and governmental conditions that will be established during that time. We read about some of that here in the 11th chapter of Isaiah. Go over to chapter 35, great chapter of Scripture about what God's going to do to this earth. Isaiah 35, starting in verse 1, says, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Some people say, well, that's happening now with Israel's irrigation systems over there. No, that's not going to hold a candle to what the Lord has in store for the earth. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose, and it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice. Even with joy and singing, the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, and the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellence of God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, and he will come and save you. And the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For the waters will birth forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert and parched ground shall become a pool and thirsty land, springs of water and the habitation of jackals where each lay. There shall be grass and reeds and rushes. God's going to do a great job remodeling this planet. And you go on and read the rest of the chapter. It talks more about that. It's interesting. When John the Baptist sent word to Jesus and said, Are you really the one? Are you really the Messiah? Or should we look for another? All Jesus did was Tell them to look at this passage. Or basically, Jesus quoted that passage, which indicates that what he did when he was on the earth, opening the eyes of the blind, the ears of the, uh, the mouth of the dumb, and the, the, the ears of those that couldn't hear, that was all kingdom conditions that the king was giving a preview of while he was here. So the environment, the government, the social system will be absolutely perfect because it's being ruled over by Jesus. There's going to be one problem. That's fact, there will be children born during that time. Now, children aren't necessarily a problem. Sometimes they can be. But, but there's going to be a problem when they're born into the millennium. As, as believers who will receive glorified bodies, we won't be having the kids. It will be believers that live through the tribulation period and enter the kingdom in natural bodies. We'll be like the angels that don't marry and are given a marriage, and we won't be having kids during that time. But people that go in their natural bodies will give birth. Only believers will enter the kingdom. But children will be born. And there is one great big problem with every child that's born, every child that comes into this world. We bring them into the world, and you know what they are? 
They're a little bundle of sin. No matter how cute they are, no matter how sweet they might be, they're, they're little bundles of sin, and they've got a sin nature. And, and by nature, they are selfish. And how long does it take before they start saying, Mine? How long do you, does it take to teach them to say no when they want to exercise their will against their parents' will? You don't have to teach that, do you? It comes naturally. Why? Because they're all born dead in trespasses and sins. That's going to be one thing that doesn't change about the millennial kingdom. When children are born, they'll be born with a sin nature. Now, Christ is going to rule with a rod of iron. And if there is open rebellion... Christ will deal with the sin there very swiftly, and he'll deal with it perfectly. You know, there's capability to be one way in your heart and act one way out in public. And a lot of people will do that. They'll go along with the program. You know, you can do that. A lot of of folks here maybe were born into Christian homes. And for a while, you might have gone through life just kind of going along with the program. Externally, you might live, look like a believer. You go to church. You go to Sunday school. You got a Bible with your name in it. But you've never trust Christ as your Savior. You see, it's a personal thing. And all these kids will be born with, with, with believing parents. And they'll be born with sin natures. And they'll be born in a perfect world. And some of them won't see that they need a Savior. And so they won't surrender their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that sin will be in their heart and it will be dealt with at the end of the thousand years. We talked about Satan being bound for a thousand years to be released for a short time. And we talked about the fact that that pops a big old question into my mind. Why? God, why not just cast them into the lake of fire that you prepared for him in the first place? be done with him why are you going to bind him for a thousand years and then release him well satan's good at one thing well he's good at a lot of things but one of the things he's particularly good at is helping to bring out into the open our sinfulness he's the tempter now we can't blame all of our sin on the devil that's for sure even in our day but he's a tempter he tempted jesus he tempted he tempted eve and he's going to be a Go back over to Revelation 20, and we see what's going to happen at the end of the thousand-year period. Verse 7 says, Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. You know what Satan's going to learn during that thousand years that he's bound? Nothing. He's not going to repent. He's not going to fall before God. And the first thing he does when he gets out, being released from that thousand years in in the prison of the abyss, is what? He goes out and starts deceiving the nation. Follow me. We'll get rid of King Jesus, and I'll establish a fun kingdom you know what? It says here there's going to be a ton of people that will follow him. A ton of people, like the, the sand of the seashore. That many people are going to follow him in rebellion against Christ. 
And one of the things this shows, folks, is, you know, the biggest problem at any time, whether it be today or in the millennial kingdom, is not our environment. It's not the government. It's not lack of education. It's not environmental or, or climate conditions. The problem that most needs dealt with in our lives, in society, in the world, is the sin problem. And Christ came here to deal with the sin problem the first time when he died for us on the cross of Calvary. Thank God. And you and I can be delivered from our sin. And these people could have been delivered from their sin, but they'll refuse to see that they need a Savior. And when you refuse to see that you need a Savior and bow before King Jesus, you're ripe for following the devil in rebellion against God, and you're headed for destruction. Follow, keep, keep reading here. They're going out. Verse 9, they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. That would be Jerusalem. And what's it saying? And the fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. God can put down rebellions real quick. You know, some people rebelled against Moses. Korah and some of the others followed, uh, rebelled against him and and God just opened up the ground. There goes the rebellion. Sinkhole. And they just, uh, isn't God something? He can put a sinkhole wherever he wants to. And he opened up real one real quick there. Here, fire comes from heaven and destroys them that quickly. Well, what about the devil? What's going to happen to him? Back to the bottomless pit for another thousand years? No. Verse 10, and the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, been there for a thousand years now, and they'll all, Satan, the false prophet, the Antichrist, they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. The real problem is sin. And in all this, Israel's hope will be vindicated in the glorious millennial kingdom and then throughout eternity. You know, we haven't even talked about eternity yet. We haven't even talked about eternity in heaven. This thousand-year kingdom's just a warm-up period. And at the end of the thousand-year kingdom, sin is done away with completely, as is the devil. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about heaven next week. Would you like to talk about heaven next week? We're going to talk about eternity and what God has in store for, for, for believers. Now, the question comes up, well, Israel's got all these promises. What about us as Christians? What part do we play in all this? Well, first of all, the, we, get, we get to meet Jesus in the air when he comes at the rapture. And then we, we're gone from the earth during the seven-year tribulation period. Revelation 19 teaches that we come back with Jesus when he comes back at the end of the tribulation period. And then we rule and reign on earth with Jesus during the kingdom. Way back in the Sermon on the Mountain and the Beatitudes, he says in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the, the meek. Why? For they shall inherit the earth. This is fulfillment of that, folks. We get to inherit the earth. And we get to live with Jesus on the new earth during the eternal state forever and ever and ever. You know, Romans 8 Verse 24 and 25 says, We're saved in this hope. But hope that seems not hope. For why do we still hope for what we, what we see? But if 
We hope for what we do not see. We eagerly wait for with perseverance. We hope for these things. We look forward to them. We, we eagerly wait with perseverance for these things to happen. But thank God there's coming a time when there'll be no more need for hope. There'll be no more need for faith. Why? Because we'll have all that before us. We'll get to see it. We won't have to hope for glorification anymore because we'll experience it. We won't have to hope for King Jesus on the throne because he'll be there. We won't have to hope for the devil to be in the lake of fire because he'll be there. The fact of the matter is God keeps all his promises. And one of the, the things that we can take away from that is the fact there will always be an Israel. People might be bent on destroying Israel today, but there will always be an Israel throughout the millennial kingdom and I believe even on into eternity. One of these days Jesus will be enthroned as king and worshiped as Lord by Israel and by all creation. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And Jesus will establish a real utopia. You see, he is needed. He's needed to establish the utopia, the perfect condition. Now, he's also needed to establish between you and us and God. Perfect condition. And, you know, perfect conditions need to exist in order for us to get to heaven. Our lives have to be made perfect. We need the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we can have that through what he did for us on the cross at Calvary. If we'll respond to him in faith, we find that the Christ can do for us in our relationship with God what he's going to do for all creation one of these days. One of the great things about salvation is we... We get called into a relationship where we have peace with God. We're no longer at enmity with God. We have peace with God. We have a right relationship with God. We have Christ ruling in our hearts and our lives as Lord and as King. And we get to have fellowship with the God of the universe every single day forever. What a glorious thing that is. You know, it's a, a wonderful thing what the Lord's going to do in establishing the millennial kingdom here on earth. I can't wait. I can't wait to be part of that. Think of that. A perfect world with Christ ruling on the throne. And, you know, Jesus Christ tops Churchill. Jesus Christ tops Reagan. Jesus Christ tops Obama. Jesus Christ tops any ruler this world's ever seen. And one of these days, he's going to sit on the throne and rule over all the increase of his government and of peace. There'll be no end. And now he can rule in our lives as individuals. You can have that. You can have that right relationship with God. It's great to wonder about and be thrilled with what he's going to do in the future. But how wonderful it is, how important it is, that we'd be amazed and we'd be thrilled at what he does in our lives right now and offering us the glorious salvation that he does and continuing to work in us and through us to make us more and more like the Lord Jesus. If you're here today, and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You're not ready for the kingdom. You're not ready for heaven. You see, that's the message that the uh, Pharisees didn't like hearing, that the Sadducees didn't like hearing. That's why they rejected Jesus. I hope you're not going to reject him. If you've never trusted him, I hope you'll do that today. If you have trusted him, boy, you got some wonderful things to look forward to. Don't we? we got great things to look forward to. And it's going to happen. 
There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Politicians make promises what they're going to do if you elect them, how wonderful they're going to make it. Jesus isn't a politician. He's creator, and he's Lord, and he's Savior. Heavenly Father, thank you for the, the hope that we have, the blessed hope, the sure and certain hope that we have for the future, that we have for all of eternity. And Lord, we pray that you would just work in the heart and the life of anybody that's with us today that's not ready for that because they've never repented of their sin, never taken Christ to be their Savior. We pray they might do that even today. And Father, help us never to get over how wonderful it is, your great love for us, that gives us the salvation that we can have by grace through faith because of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. Thank you for your amazing love for us. Help us to respond to it. Help us to keep responding to it in obedience and in faithfulness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you close with me this morning?